Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 343. Thank you for putting up with my repeat last week. I just needed a week off from having to record something. I needed to take a little voice break. So thanks for being here. If you're wondering what is having funlessness with Jen Kirkman, I'm new around here. I can tell by the number 343 that you have done 343 episodes of this thing. But can you give me a little background on it? Well, sure, everybody. I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. I have two comedy specials on Netflix. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine and also just keep living. I'm also a best-selling author. You can find my two books anywhere you buy books, Amazon or IndieBound.org. I can barely take care of myself and I know what I'm doing and other lies I tell myself. But this podcast is where I show you another side of myself. I'm just me, good or bad, and you can enjoy another side of me. It's like a friend leaving you a really long voicemail. Nothing is scripted. It's not joke per minute, but it is sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest and real. Now, this is normally where I announce my tour dates, but as we've been doing lately, this is where I announce my not anymore tour dates. I just officially... as of the taping of this podcast, decided I'm not going to play Portland, Oregon in November 2020. Even if there's a vaccine or something, I don't, I don't feel right. So it is rescheduled for April of 2021. Now, all of these dates, I consider them still tentative. I don't know what's going on with this crazy virus. I don't know if I'll want my audience wearing masks and if the club will accommodate it. I don't know anything. But a lot of my tour dates have been moved to March and April of next year. I'm just saying to my agent, yeah, 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 just move them. Move them. But I wonder if those will even happen. You can safely assume I will not be anywhere on the road this year. So that's why I encourage everyone listening. Join my Patreon. Oh my God, the bonuses you get are insane. A bonus 20-minute extra episode a week, as well as the video version of this weekly podcast that has a few minutes at the beginning of just extra that only Patreons can see. A one-hour bonus every month, whether it's a live chat with me or an hour bonus episode. There's merchandise exclusive that you can't get in my merchandise store. And, you know, whenever I feel like turning on the camera and throwing up something on Patreon, I do it. 
If you join now, you get the backlog of all of the bonuses. So even at $5 a month, you probably got like two weeks worth of bonuses to listen to. Plus the video version. Again, you get to see my home, how my bangs are growing out, what I'm wearing. I mean, why wouldn't you? And by the way, it's my income right now. Until I maybe hopefully get a writing job this year. But if that doesn't happen, it's all up to you guys. So please join. You can join at the $5 level. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. I'm not just showing you that I can count by fives. Those are all of the different levels. The more you pay, the more you get. So come on down. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, I went and got myself a COVID test. So Here's the thing. I know I don't have it. I don't have any symptoms, although sometimes I have symptoms because I have vocal issues and they do an asthma and it does mimic, you know, day one of Corona, COVID. I miss calling it Corona. I mean, I know you can call it either one. But Corona isn't the name exactly of the virus. I can't explain it, but I know it in my head. So, Anywho, so I thought I should get tested because uh, as my friend comedian Jimmy Pardo put it, and I thought this was a great way to put it, that you're not getting it because you think you have it, but you're getting it just to know that you don't so that if you do, you can kind of narrow down the window of when you got it. Even though you're like, Jen, If you get it next week, you know you didn't get it back in March. And I'm like, well, I'm just saying. I think it's good to do. So here's what happened. Uh, Suddenly, there are no tests in L.A. Last month, there were all these free testing sites. You could drive to them. And I made an appointment at one of them. And I pulled up, and my name wasn't on the list. And I was like, excuse me, I'm totally on the list. I'm friends with the bouncers at COVID-19, the hottest club in Hollywood. Um, You better check that list again. Jen Kirkman, it's not Kirkland. That's a brand at Costco. This is Jen Kirkman. Please check the list again. I always get into COVID-19 when I want to. (laughs) Um, But they were like, when was your appointment? And I was like, I'll pull it up on my email. And I was... No, I, didn't, I wasn't rude to this person at all, but I was so confident that there was some kind of mechanical error. What do you call that with a machine and a computer? Computer error. Oh, my God. Grandma's podcasting again and calling it a machine. So I show the lady at a careful distance out my window my email confirmation, and she says, yes, that's for June 22nd. That was yesterday. And I'm like, I don't know what day it is. I'm an idiot. I hate people like me. I responsibly put it in my calendar, but I put it under the wrong day. So I drove off. And before I drove off, I said, well, I'll just get back home on my computer and rebook it. And she made a face like, this is kind of the last day of testing. Yeah, it's been abundant, but you know, California is suddenly out of tests. Great. Cool. Good work. Good work, everybody. So 
she was right. I got home, couldn't book a test. So then I get an email from my ENT's office. He's technically an otolaryngologist. Why can't I say this word? Otolaryngologist. Otolaryngologist. I'm never going to say it right. Is there a thing where I can go, hey, Siri, how do I say that? I'm going to do that. How to pronounce otolaryngologist. How to pronounce. Okay, here we go. Otolaryngology. Otolaryngologist. So he's an otolaryngologist. Why the fuck couldn't I have said that for all these years? Anyway, my otolaryngologist's office contacted me and said, we are offering COVID-19 tests. We will come to you. And I was like, wow. Because he lives, he lives, he works in a building, which is about a half hour drive from me. And he's on the 20-something floor. And it's one of those medical buildings where everybody's sick because everyone going there has some kind of sickness. Each floor has like 10 different offices, all full of sick people of all kinds. So when you're in that elevator, you're catching something, even before COVID. I always hated the write-up because it's one of those, I mean, it's a beautiful, you know, gorgeous modern building, but it's just a building full of sick people. And every stop on the elevator, someone's getting on, someone's walking slow, someone's got some crazy cough. And it stops on every floor. So I was building an extra 15 minutes to get there early because of that fucking elevator. So I really think they understood people are going to get COVID in the elevator on the way up to get their test. We'll just go to them if it's easier. Now, I did pay a pretty penny for this test. But I thought, just get one before they go away. So the day of the test, I meet someone that lives in my building who I'd never met before, who I now hate. He's literally America's worst type of person. The arrogant hippie who sounds like more of an angry right winger who doesn't believe in masks. It's, I hate these people. I hate them so much. There's something about an angry guy with his like, 1776 was the best year of my life t-shirt on going, get the fuck out of here, who's so scary. I feel I can hug that guy until he calms down and then he'll start sobbing and then I'll say, what's going on? And he'll say, I have anxiety and I'll be able to convince him that wearing a mask is not only manly, but it's patriotic and that this is not a political issue. But a hippie, oh, I, 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 who thinks he knows it all. It's so hard to get into that psychology because it's not just anxiety. It's this, I don't, I, I'll tell you about him when we get to his part of the story, but I despise this man and I love everybody. You know, you know, I try to be, I try to be love. So I'm really nervous about this test because I have heard. Now, here's the thing. I'm really not medically that wimpy. 
I have a newfound fear of anesthesia, which I hate because that was like, that used to be a vacation for me anytime I needed it uh, for any, you know, any kind of surgery, which I've only had like a few, but the thing that would always make me not scared of the surgery is I love anesthesia. And then the last surgery I had, I was like, this is scary. So I have to get a colonoscopy. I was supposed to get it last year. I don't know if I'll get it this year, but I'm afraid of that. And, and it's not the thing up my butt. That part, I don't care. I'm afraid of the anesthesia and of the prep. I don't know. I just don't like, I'm not in the mood. I'm not afraid, but, but I have this and I don't know if it is like all my years of meditating or thought stopping with anxiety, but I can get real like calm in a medical situation. I almost, I can't believe my body doesn't shut down and I don't just pass away in the waiting room. Like I can get just very calm. And that's usually what happens when presented with something. But I always forget that I get that way. And the night before, it's always this worry. So I decided to get the COVID test. Now, a lot of the drive-through ones have been spitting, the spitting kind. And they would say, oh, cough three times and spit. But I don't, does everyone just have like a reserve of phlegm? Like, (coughs) if that's me coughing three times, there's nothing to spit up. And that just hurt. My asthma's a little weird. Um, so I thought that was the kind of test I was getting. I thought that was kind of, I guess I just assumed that the next version of testing was the spitting kind. So I get the email from my doctor. I make the appointment. And when I talked to them on the phone, they said, you can do the spit test or the swab. And I said, why, why are there two? Like what's, she said, just for preference. And she said, but the swab is more accurate. The nasal swab. I was like, now I'd read stories about them. Oh my God, they hurt so much. It's 10 seconds. It feels like it's going into your brain. It tickles up your nose. And, but, but the other, the other, the other half of me, oh my God. It's like I'm possessed. Do you ever think that when you listen? Why is she suddenly channeling other voices? The other part of me. The other part of me thought, well, wait a minute, Jen. You get these nasal. I get, imagine a wire, if anyone watching, a little thinner than this, with a camera on it. Now, not a fucking big camera like when you're watching uh Saturday Night Live, and you see them moving the cameras around as they cut to commercial. Not a camera that size up my nose. But at the tip of the wire is a little camera, and they insert it up your nose, and they keep going until it starts dangling down, and they see it coming down your throat. That is insane. And that has to stay there Oh, that is a good one to two minutes. They root around. Sorry, does this hurt? And so before you get that procedure done, they spray this numbing spray up your nose. And then it tastes awful and it drips down your throat. Now, it does prevent you from really feeling that camera. You might feel a little pressure, but you can't feel it. But what's worse is the numbing spray makes you unable to feel that you're breathing. You can't feel that you're breathing in through your nose. And it's a sensation that you take for granted. If you sit there right now 
and breathe through your nose. You, you can feel that you're breathing once it hits your lungs, but you're like, I didn't really feel it through my nose. Wait till you can't. Then you'll be like, oh my God, I used to feel breath coming through the cilia inside my nostrils. And when you can't feel yourself breathing through your nose or on your throat, you think you're not breathing and your body's going, so I have to tell my body, you are breathing, you are fine. And it starts to hyperventilate. So I usually have to take a dissolvable clonopin. Why do I have to mention it's dissolvable? Like somehow that's, but you know, it's good because I decide at the last second if I'm going to need it and then I pop it and then it works within 30 seconds. What a miracle. So that usually helps coming down, but I don't need it, you know, and then it's like, then I end up fine. But anywho, long story longer. Hey, oh, she is so fun. Um, I thought if I do that, there's no way that this nose swab is worse than that. It's not. It can't be. But people were like, it's like a pipe cleaner and they root it around and they do this. And I do believe they have done that in the past. Now, I don't know why my test wasn't like that. Spoiler. But even if it was the kind you root around for 10 minutes, it's still 10 seconds. It's still not as crazy as the, these scopes I get. But anyway, I let myself believe the hype. And, you know, it's both women and men that said certain sensations. But I got to say, mostly men in the media who've taken it have talked about how uncomfortable it is. And I forget, oh, right, but I have clamps stuck up my pussy. I get, you know, pap smears and mammograms where they smash your boob flat like a pancake uh, and you hold your breath. That hurts. So does getting a, a scope in my nose. So, but that's not female specific. But so I felt like people with female bodies have probably endured worse. And then of course, childbirth, which I'm way too scared to ever do. And I got to admit, probably a big reason why I didn't have kids. But, oh, I've got a great thing about not having kids coming up later. So whatever, we'll we'll make fun of men for a hot second. But so I go get the test. So they call me. Now this woman, Hillary, is the nurse I've known her for years. She's always the nurse to the doctor that I see. I didn't realize she was going to be the one coming to my house. I thought they had a separate company they hired. So it didn't even dawn on me it might be someone I know. So I'm going outside. I get the call from the receptionist who says the nurse is outside waiting She's suited up. So she is in full PPE, like looks like a hazmat suit. She has one of those giant, looks like those painter's masks on, you know, with a shield. I mean, she is, nothing's getting through her. So I go, and this is surreal because I don't own my own home. I'm in a condo. So I'm outside on the sidewalk, like on the, on the property, but like on the lawn on the property. And we do the test there. It takes four seconds. I literally didn't even feel it. I flinched because of the anticipation and it was totally fine. Anyway, so she does that. She said, she's saying through her thing. It was literally like back to the future where Marty McFly wakes up 
and Crispin Glover's dressed up like uh, Darth Vader or whatever over his bed. He's like, <sighs> she's like, I'll call you with the results in six hours. And it wasn't until I walked away that I went, oh my God, that was Hillary. That's how much crap she had on. I couldn't tell it was her. So the reason I mentioned that is not just because I called her voicemail later and said, I didn't even realize it was you. I'm sorry if I didn't ask more personal questions about how you're doing. And I'm a great person. No, no, no. That's not why I tell you that. I tell you that because this, remember the hippie guy I'm mad at? This douche. I'm going to get this long silver hair. Cut your hair. Comes outside. Probably thinks he's a real George Carlin type. And sir, you are not George Carlin. He comes outside late 50s, early 60s. Probably late 50s. No mask. No mask. We're having spikes in California. You're supposed to wear a mask outside. He sees, he, he misses the whole thing. That's how observant he is. He probably thinks he's some great thinker. He's, he's that person on Twitter. Independent thinker. He literally doesn't notice. She's in a hazmat suit with ridiculous gear on. Again, helmet. Shields and things. She could survive an acid throw to the face, right? And I have my little mask on. which someone DM'd me on Instagram because I put a video of my test. You're wearing your mask upside down, and so here's the proper way to wear them, and you might actually find they're more comfortable. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, I know how to wear a mask. It was two seconds I was outside. I walked outside with the mask, and I was nervous, and I just threw it on when I saw Hillary. It wasn't like to wear for the day. I had it up for like 14 seconds. Like, just can everyone stop weighing in? Stop weighing in on stuff. I don't want to hear from you. You wore your mask wrong. Oh, what, what are you, a complete asshole? You think that I don't know how to wear masks? Just because you saw a video of me with something upside down for three seconds, you had to write. And I know if that person's listening, they're going to be mad. Oh, I get emails every day. You talk about me on the podcast. Have you guys ever heard me say anybody's name on the podcast? If any of you think I am personally talking to you, you need to get mental health help. I get mental health help, and I don't even think people on podcasts are talking to me. So anyway, uh, the guy comes outside, sees me. Now, doesn't notice she's putting a swab into a thing. And also, get away. He gets right up to her, like two feet away. And he sees me in my mask. He sees her, and he goes, Now, hers is the only kind that works. And I went, not true, not true. And he goes, "Uh, boy, you're really cautious to her. Like, he's not getting, she's a nurse at work. Even though she's holding a swab of my fucking nasal shit that I wish I wiped all over his face and I wish I did have COVID so that I could give it to him. So he goes, uh. So why do you get all up like that? Like, you guys taking a walk? Are you nuts? Are we taking a walk? This is a nurse, you old fucking Bernie bro. My God, you condescending freaks. Go listen to fucking... I don't know what. I should have had a band right there. 
I keep wanting to say Earth, Wind, and Fire. I would love to listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire, but that's not who I'm trying to say. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Go listen to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Well, technically, I like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Jen, I'm going to write you an email about how they're very progressive about masks and feminism. Anyway, so she finally goes, I'm a nurse. I just gave a COVID test. And he's, oh, oh. Well, I was just saying that masks don't work anyway unless they're like that. Now, he wasn't saying, I don't believe in science and MAGA forever. He was more like, you know, the droplets are going to get through no matter what. And he's not wrong. Like, I know that we don't have proper N95 masks. You can buy a KN95, which is not quite what they have in hospitals. And that's why I'm still not comfortable going and sitting in restaurants with my friends because we've got these cloth masks on and and it does reduce like it's like a 70% chance you won't catch it if you're both wearing masks indoors, which is pretty good. But ain't nobody in my life worth that 30%. So I'm not doing it. So he's not wrong. But the attitude, like, well, wear it anyway, you douche. You know what has, you know what gives you COVID? All that hair. Now I know my hair is longer and maybe his is too and he couldn't get it cut. But this man lives among me. I just walked away. I was like, okay, bye. And she was getting in her car and he was still talking. Like, just get out of here with your opinions. How about you have the opinion that no mask except her shielded outfit works and you just think that to yourself and walk away. Imagine not giving your opinion on the street. Oh my God. I know you go, Jen, you're giving your opinion. It's a podcast. That's what I'm doing. And I pay money to do it. I pay fees on all kinds of things. This is a job. I don't walk outside giving my opinion. Are you nuts? I don't want to talk to these people. (laughs) Anyway. Oh my God. Condescending hippies are a blight on us all. So I am negative. They uh, texted me six hours later. So there you go. Had an appointment with my psychiatrist, not my therapist. The psychiatrist is the one that prescribes me clonopin as needed. So we check in every six months because I get it refilled every six months. And he, uh, you know, I've known this guy 15 years. He's the guy that said to me, do you ever think if you are on a flight and it crashes, you just say to yourself, I've had a good life. (laughs) And that kind of reminds me of the anxiety email that I send out. There's a lot of that kind of vibe in it because when he first said that to me, I was like, what? And then as I'm older, I'm like, oh, I know what he means. Not that I'm like old or anything, but you just start to realize just being in acceptance is really what it was. But he, I think he's just entertained by me because he saw me when I first came in, when I first moved to LA, I was a wreck. Just (laughs) so much anxiety. And as the years went by, I made such a recovery that I think he doesn't worry about me too much. So if I start the conversation with, hey, I've been depressed, I'm thinking about medication again, then he'll take it seriously. But if I'm, if he's like, how's the anxiety? I'm like, well, I've been having some, but you know, I'm doing this. Then he's just like, oh, she's fine. And he's like, well, my other patients. And then he just tells me about all his other patients, <laughs> which I know is probably 
against some law, but I love it. He doesn't tell me their names, but you understand this takes me back to when I was in sixth grade and the school guidance counselor wanted to have lunch with me. Now, it was because uh, she thought maybe something was wrong with me because it was kind of weird, but I thought it was because she thought I was on the level and we were chilling together and we were like, all those other people are so fucking dumb. And that was not the case. But anyway, so I like to chill with the psychiatrists, you know, and, uh, and he was like, this one guy, oh my God, he hasn't even gone anywhere and he has to wash his clothes and do that. Oh, oh, it sounded exhausting. God love you, my OCD people. I've got a tiny twinge of it, but not in the germ phobic way. And, uh, I have it around other things like kind of the circular thinking and on all kinds of stuff. But, oh man, my heart goes out to you guys because it takes a lot of work to break those habits. And I can only imagine in a pandemic where you're kind of proven right in a lot of ways that uh, it's hard to give up, uh, you know, your kind of way of being. But anyway, so he dished and he said his wife does this thing. Now, I don't understand this. He's like, my wife, now he has an office in Hawaii where he is half the time and then one in, uh, you know, outside of Los Angeles. So his wife, he said, you know, they haven't gone to Hawaii. They've been totally quarantined for four months. His wife, he goes, oh, my wife, she just starts packing. And I go into her room and I go, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm packing. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm actually going somewhere. And she packs her whole thing for this Hawaii. And then she says, okay, we don't unpack it on the same day. We keep it in the suitcase. And then she unpacks it the next day. And I thought, this sounds, she sounds insane. But it actually sounds kind of cool. Like it'd be a fun exercise. Um, Not to me, because I, the one thing I haven't missed is packing and unpacking and packing and unpacking. But I just thought, I need to be a fly on the wall with these people. He's probably about like early 60s. He's the opposite of the hippie outside my apartment. He's, um, this guy's more like a little more basic. I don't know what his politics are. I don't know. I know his belief on masks. And, uh, you know, like if anyone watching right now, Probably would wear a shirt like I'm wearing. It was like a Hawaiian shirt guy. Like, hey, you know. I love Dr. Dan. He really saved my butt since I moved to L.A. I mean, I've known him, yeah, 18 years. Wow, wow, wow. He's seen me through some stuff. Anyway, I don't know. His wife sounds like a nut job. I love it. So got a really cool email from these dudes in Italy. And they have turned... one of my lyrics, one of my jokes into lyrics. And they emailed me after the fact. They already made the song and there's a music video. And they said, we hope you don't mind. We like stole some of the things you said in your comedy special for lyrics. Now, I don't know why that doesn't bother me, but it doesn't. But he's like, we don't give you credit anywhere. And I was like, I joking, I mean, I was like serious, but I was jokingly angry. And I go, hey, you just have to give me credit Every single time you talk about that song from now on. I mean, honestly, why would I care? I mean, I kind of, no one has liner notes anymore anyway. So, um, and if they had asked me in advance, if they could, I, of course I would have said yes. Cause I think, you know, you'd other comedians shouldn't do my bits, but 
And people I wish wouldn't say they thought of it on their own and write it in a book or tell it at a party. But there's something with music, like they didn't use the exact words. And God, it does make good lyrics. So anyway, uh, you know, I'm going to play a little bit of it. So these guys are called, um, I think their band is called Six Feet Tall. And this song is called Fear Enough off their new EP, Be Grave With Your Life. So this is uh, the I'm Just a Soul Trapped in a Body. I didn't ask to be born. I'm afraid to die. And that's the shit I live in from Just Keep Living. Uh, it is now in a song. Now, why isn't it playing? I know why. Everything's... All right, hang on. Whoops, this is really too loud. Hang on. All right. My internet's being a dick. Oh, wait, hang on. Here we go. That's giving me some 90s feels right there, by the way. That that song, that's got that... I, I know Metallica isn't alternative rock, but it, it's got a little Metallica. I could totally see James Hetfield being like, I'm a soul grabbing the body. And then um, that just sounded like um, Louis Armstrong. But really, have you ever seen Louis Armstrong and uh, James Hetfield in the same room, I ask you? And then... But it's also got that, that kind of like grunge thing where it's like, how great is that? Oh, man. So there you go. So big controversy on the podcast. So as I mentioned before, and this is not an ad, don't fast forward this part because this is where we keep getting into trouble. For the love of God and Jesus in the Bible and in your hearts, do not fast forward through this part, please. There is a point. So at the $35 level, there is no merchandise offered. What you get for it is a shout out on my podcast. And I figured no one just wants to hear, shout out to Jimmy Jim. Thanks. So I did a thing that I borrowed from another podcast that I love called Deck the Hallmark, where these three guys watch Hallmark Christmas movies, and I've been a guest on their podcast twice. It's a delight. So they do a thing with their patrons where they'll shout out two patrons a week, and they'll pretend that those two patrons run some kind of crazy business together, and they'll tell an improvised story about it. And so I, I totally just ripped off that idea and said, I will do 
at the $35 level, I will shout you out and I will say that you're one of my best friends and I'll tell the story of how we met. Now, I want it to feel special and fun and so I don't always like to remind at the beginning of the story, hey, these are made up. They are improvised stories. These people are not my best friends. I don't know them. But once I start telling the stories, I figure they sound so ridiculous that they couldn't possibly be real. And some people have said, oh, well, you're a good actor. You're a good improviser. But well, no, it's just talking. It's not a skill I have. It's that you're not clear <laughs> on what's going on. And now maybe that's my fault. Maybe I didn't introduce it enough. Maybe I did and you fast forwarded. I don't know. But I thought it was also implied, and this is going to sound really shitty, but my best friends don't pay $35 a month to listen to me talk. Oh, they can listen to me talk anytime, and they do. And if they were my best friends, haven't you thought to yourself, so far Jen has talked about eight best friends that I've never heard of, and I can't believe she's not mentioning the best friends we know of that are in comedy. I don't know. I just thought it was totally obvious. So my sister hears this, this one story I tell. I say I gave someone a $30,000 tip way back in the 90s. I didn't even make $30,000 a year way back in the 90s. And I said I gave someone a $30,000 tip. And then years later, when I really needed the money, this woman who became my best friend wouldn't help me out. And I lived in a furniture store. I mean, I just didn't think it would be possible that anyone would think that was real. And also, why would I be friends with someone that wouldn't return that money to me? Anyway, my sister heard that. And I think she was mad. I mean, she's probably listening now and she's like, no. But she's like, uh, dude, I can't believe you tipped that much. Like, I'm telling our other sister on you. Like, you're very generous, but you're a little nuts. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, dude, it's a fucking made up story. Like there were people in my life, I won't get into other private details, that were mad at me about tipping that. And I was like, what is happening? Like what is happening? And so some, and so I, I was in like a state and I made a short, cute little video. I have to add cute. I'm like buttering myself up to the court. Made a little video where I'm like, um, did I really have to tell you guys that those stories are fake like over and over? Of course I didn't tip someone $30,000. What What are you talking about? All I do, what? What? Oh my God. I didn't say anyone was dumb. I didn't mention any names of anyone who had said they believed it because I truly don't remember names of comments I see. You know, some people wrote in the comments that the reason I knew this was starting to become a thing was someone wrote in the comments I can't believe that person that you tipped that well never paid you back. And I was like, oh, I thought you were like joking around. And I was like, you know, it was a joke, right? And they were like, no. Okay, so then my sister thought it. And then I just thought, this is ridiculous because you know my whole thing is like, you know, I do okay, but I'm not wealthy. And people always get on me. Why don't you help with Corona more? Why don't you do this more? And I'm like, oh, you're a millionaire because you were on Netflix. And, you know, I push back against that all the time. And I'm like, I'll tell you when I'm rich, but I'm not. So imagine people that are just harassing me all the time, like about how I don't do enough. I'm just a rich bitch and I don't relate. 
Imagine now this story's out there that says I gave a $30,000 tip and there's nothing surrounding the story apparently in that episode that makes it obvious it was made up. So now I'm like on my own PR campaign going, these are made up stories. So I made a 60 second video, put it on Instagram. Now, again, I have thousands of fans, not to brag. I don't know who anyone is or think keep anyone in my head. If you've never contacted me, I certainly don't know who you are, right? But people were angry at the way that I came out and said, guys, these are jokes. People were angry. They took it personally. And I I really want to help everyone get strong therapy here. You cannot take personally something that someone did not personally say to you. You can... But then, okay, so I got a listener email. Jen, I listened to your most recent podcast, and I'm one of the dummies who thought the $30,000 tip story was real. I get that it was a crazy story. I don't remember you saying the part that you lived in a furniture store. See, a lot of people are half listening when they listen, which is fine. Um, But that the woman you gave the tip to had a successful furniture line and didn't want to return your money. Blah, 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 doesn't matter. It was just kind of a bummer to look forward to listening to your podcast and be made to feel stupid by hearing you say you don't want to spell out clearly outrageous things to people. But I can't make you feel stupid if... I know you're obviously not singling me out by saying those things. I'm a fan and not on your personal radar. I look forward to listening to your podcast because I consider you to be a like-minded person whose thoughts and opinions I agree with. I don't know what my end game is here or why I felt like writing this to you. I know you felt like something you intended to be a fun thing was misunderstood and has the potential, if people actually take the story seriously, to get weird. Sorry for being someone who contributed to the nonsense. Okay, so it's dawning on me now that she must have commented to me on Instagram, and I must have been like, no, it's not real at all. But I was very kind about it. I wasn't like, you dumb fuck. So I guess I can't win. If I'm kind to you in the comments, but then I go on my podcast and do a general rant about what's up with everyone. I mean, I guess it's just people are constantly being hurt. But she was very cool in this email, and I wrote her back very personal details about what the real issue was. And she never wrote back. So that's fine. But I will just remind everyone, there are comedians who don't think COVID is real, and then they go to San Antonio, catch COVID, give it to their audience, and don't care. There are comedians who are sexually assaulting people. And then there's me. Completely honest, a nice person. I'm 2% snarky. Could you, could you all consider giving me a break? And no, I'm, I've been trying to say, and I'll never say these things out loud because they would just be mean to other comics. There are many comics who aren't the real deal, especially women, especially I'm a feminist comedians. You are falling for people and it will be the heartbreak of my life that I'm not as famous as them. Because I won't play the same games they do where I, I I just, that's all I'm going to say. And the game has nothing to do with being nice to people. But I'm just learning more and more. I need to interact less. I don't even interact. I save comments for my podcast and people are still mad. Uh, So I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. I'm in a, a hell of my own making with this Patreon business. The Patreon's fine, but. Anyway, so if you all could just 
you know, try, try to take me less personally. That would be amazing. Um, anyway, but this woman totally was cool and wished me well and I wish her well. But she's a good example of there are, there are people who are getting upset. Um, so there you go. But anyway, my point is this week's $35 story is my best friend, Tim Haddock. Now, Tim, we got off to a rocky start when we met. I was driving down the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu, and I saw a guy about to jump from a rock and thought he was going to kill himself. So I pulled over my car, and I ran out, and I grabbed him. And he went, no. And I said, you have so much to live for. Don't do this. I don't care if I'm the only person on earth that's nice to you. You have so much to live for. And I wrestled him to the ground. I gave him some water. And I said, now, where can I take you? Can I take you to the nearest psychiatric ward? Can I call someone? And he said, I wasn't jumping to kill myself. And I said, you don't have to lie. I know what it looks like. And he said, I'm jumping in there after my father. And I'm like, oh my God, your father's drowning? Well, let's call someone. Help, help. And he's like, would you calm down? My father is a fish. And I went, what? And he's like, my name is Tim Haddock. My dad is not only Haddock, he's literally a Haddock. He's a fish. I'm half man, half fish. So I would have been fine jumping in the water because I know how to swim. And in fact, I actually should be in the water pretty soon because I breathe half oxygen, half water. I'm sort of like a hybrid car. I can breathe air and, you know, get along just fine, but I also need to breathe water too. And I was like, I am so sorry, Tim. Can you ever forgive me? And he was like, no, not right now. I can't. I'm actually pretty fucking pissed. And I was like, well, I hope you have a good day. And I drove off and I was like, I am such a meddling asshole. So a week later, I'm back in Malibu and I'm at my favorite fish restaurant, and uh, I'm there with Mel Gibson, who, you know, famously drives up and down the PCH in Malibu. And, you know, he got arrested for drinking, drinking and driving. And then the cop pulled him over and he called her sugar tits. And he likes to, you know, say all kinds of anti-Semitic things. But but if you guys know Mel like I do, like he's super fun to hang with. Like if you get Mel on like the first drink, like he's so fun. And actually oddly like kind of respectful, you know, like he's the type of guy that if I went Mel, Somebody called me sugar tits. He'd be like, what the fuck? Like, that's so inappropriate. Women are such an important part of the workplace. I'm like, you know? So anyway, so in comes Tim. And uh, Mel was like, that guy looks like a fish. And I was like, that guy is half fish. I know him. And then Mel started like being mean to him. Like, hey, can I order you off the menu? And then I was like, Tim, come over. And I was like, Tim, I'm really sorry again about last week. And I was like, do you want to join us? And then like the whole time Mel is just like making fun of him and like maybe trying to eat him. It was very strange. And then, you know, Tim was so cool. I was like, what am I looking for in a friend? This asshole Mel Gibson who like is nice to me, but otherwise is like a Nazi or like this half fish guy who's like pretty chill, you know? So Mel kept harassing him until I was like, you know what, Mel? Fuck off. I know not many people in Hollywood will tell you this. Jodie Foster still defends you, but I won't. Fuck off, Mel. And I was like, Tim, 
do you want to go get a martini at the bar? And he was like, totally. And he's like, but um, my half fish sister is joining us, Tina. And I was like, Tina can come. Tina's totally cool. So uh, actually, <clears throat> Tina wasn't able to come that night. She got caught in a riptide. But uh, yeah, so every year, Tim and I go back to Moon Shadows in Malibu. We commemorate where I told off Mel Gibson. Never made it into the tabloids, of course. I don't know why. Maybe the tabloids will pick it up after they hear this podcast. But yeah, he's been like one of my best friends. My only half man, half fish friend ever since. And uh, no, he doesn't have gills that you can see. He's not scaly. And yeah, he's cool as shit. And um, he's really helping me learn how to be a better swimmer. I used to have to hold my nose. And now I can sort of like trust that I can breathe out. You know, I'm always afraid of breathing in water. <clears throat> Tim's always like, even if you breathe in water, it's fine. I'm like, it's fine for you, buddy, not me. Anyway, he's great. And he's a $35 a month patron. So I really appreciate you as a friend and as a patron. Okay, so if you guys are sick of hearing me talk, and how can't you be? I, for some reason, Fran Leibowitz, who, if you don't know, you just have to get to know her. She is sort of a guiding light to me in life. I just love that she has her opinions, isn't online anywhere, doesn't care what you think, and that's her thing. These are my opinions. And <clears throat> I should have water instead of clearing my throat. Hang on. And so with Fran, I've been searching every podcast that she's ever been a guest on in the past few years, and she's been on a few. And it's just what I listen to. It's just what I want in my ears during these trying times. And there was this one clip where she's talking about how children and people with children shouldn't be in New York City. And I'm just saying, I fucking kind of love it. And I just wanted to play it for you guys because she said it best. She's a lifelong New Yorker. Grew up in New Jersey, but moved to New York at 18. Oh, did I not get the classic Kirkman? I know the, uh, not to brag, but I remember the time code. So let's just see. Okay. Okay. Okay, here we go. So she says, for instance, there didn't used to be all these children in New York. Everywhere. I live in Brooklyn. They're everywhere. Yep, they're not just in Brooklyn. Okay? <laughs> they're everywhere. I mean, in my lifetime, not before my lifetime, which there was such a time, that wasn't the case. But in my lifetime, basically, the kinds of people in New York who had children, certainly, you know, more than one, but even any, were poor people and rich people. Mm. So you didn't have... I know this is a horrible thing to say now because all these terms have changed. You didn't have what we used to call this middle-class sensibility, which used to be a bad thing. Now it's considered to be a wonderful thing. And the reason it's considered to be a wonderful thing now is there is no middle class anymore. Yep. So you didn't have that. You know, that's what we were escaping from. And I didn't mean from a point of view of money, mm -hmm. but from a point of view of sensibility. That sensibility was not in New York. Right. You know, there weren't all these children. There weren't all these dogs. What you see now in New York City, a lot in certain 
neighborhoods, in a lot of neighborhoods in Manhattan and a lot of neighborhoods in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure in other places that I don't have to go to, you see this kind of suburban life being lived at one million times the price. Yes. And pushing out other people. I have seen people in the West Village where I lived when I was young because it was cheap. Right. Now, here's what you see. Range Rovers, golf Mm -hmm. clubs. And I think, is this Greenwich Village or Greenwich, Connecticut? And now it's Greenwich, Connecticut. It is. So I think that sensibility is very bad for thinking, for sure. The truth is that once people have children, they should move. From New York. You know, I know this is going to be horrible, and people are going to be really angry at me, and I even know these people who have children, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I just... Because once there's a child anywhere, then the whole environment has to be... About the child. About, yeah, it has to be about the child in the sense that it has to be safe for the child. Yes. A safe environment for a four-year-old is not the same thing as an adequately safe environment, you know, for a 25-year-old. Right. Or a 20-year-old. And so people who have are worried about the environment not being safe for their four-year-olds should go live somewhere where everyone else cares about that because I don't. <laughs> right. I wonder if it's... Oh, Fran. She said it, not me. Send your emails to Fran. Speaking of sending emails, oh, by the way, really quicker dickers. By the time this airs, I will have sent a total of um, let's see. 489 dollars to uh the covid charity for june which was uh like ppe.org which is getting ppe for healthcare workers and then we had a different drive as well last month which was uh, a special little quick thing for um victims of sexual sexual assault and all kinds of people that have uh, violence at home and that organization is called futures without violence and we raised through the merchandise um, $781 for that organization. And right now, this month, I'm sending my merchandise sales money to CORE, which is um, for children of restaurant employees. It basically helps families whose parents, you know, work in restaurants and haven't been working due to COVID or they're even positive for COVID. And as of right now, I'm taping this on July 9th. We've already made 500 bucks. That's 500 that is available to donate. So I think we're going to have a good month this month. And so every month, all of my merchandise proceeds. So I get about 35% of all sales. 100% of what I get is being sent to charities. And that is every month through the end of 2020. So there'll be a new charity for August. We don't need to get ahead of ourselves. I'll tell you about it when that happens. But if you can't afford anything now... No problem. I was looking at my merch. I was like, it's so damn cute. Like, I'm drinking out of a rich bitch mug right now. Um, I'm going to get a I'm a soul trapped in a body notebook the to do my gratitude lists in. Um, and, yeah, I just – there's this really cute mint colored with pink writing tank top that says over 40 that I'm like, that's styling. There's really cute stuff. Yeah. Go check out my merch store. It's all kinds of things that are, you know, quotes from the podcast or quotes from my special. But 
all the designs are really tastefully done. I, I would come up with the concept. I'd say, make it look like pow, like a superhero. And then the independent designers at Public would come up with it and I would approve it. So the portion that I get goes to charity and feel good knowing that the rest of it is going towards an independent designer that works for Public. And the way you can shop my merch is simply jenkirkman.com. Click shop. If you go to the link in my bio on my Instagram at jenkirkman, or at Jen Kirkman Podcast, the link in the bio there will take you to Tee Public. And of course, um, on Twitter, if you go to uh, sorry, if you go to um, Twitter, Jen Kirkman. Sorry, <laughs> hello at Jen Kirkman Pod on Twitter, and the link will be in the bio there. It's in one of those link tree things. So there you go. Exciting. Let's listen to some listener emails and see uh, how you all have been doing. Do we have some fun listener email music to put on underneath this? Oh yeah. Where's my coffee shop music? You know, I love that. So I just go to YouTube and I do, um, it's like not real jazz, you know, like Coffee shop, jazz, relax, study. I'll do cafe music, jazz and bossa nova. You know I love my bossa nova. I like real, this is, you know, again, Muzak version. We don't want any copyrights coming after us. Okay. Let's read those listener emails, bitches. Relaxing time. Relaxing time. This is actually from someone I know. It is my friend Jeff, and I was actually surprised he emailed me. Jeff taught me a voice stuff when I was living in New York. I took singing lessons. He was so kind to humor me in my singing. <laughs> um, Jen, I just listened to your latest podcast episode, and of course, the whole thing was great. I want to especially thank you for the last portion of it when you asked listeners for coming out advice. I can't tell you how much having straight allies makes a difference, and your willingness to be open and accepting and celebratory is honestly touching and means a lot to me personally. I had a very difficult time coming out to my immediate family, and the experience was pretty negative and a long story that I won't go into here. That struggle damaged me in a number of ways. Something, uh, even though it was years ago, the after effects are still felt. Something that has sustained me is the faith and support of friends, many heterosexual, who not only believed in my musical talent, but also in my worth as a person. Also sustaining, of course, has been making music and having the good fortune to be taught by world-class teachers. Please note that you may have lightened the load, not just for the listener who requested advice, but for other LGBTQ and listeners who might be struggling with this issue. You rock and thank you. Be well. Thanks, Jeff. I wrote back to Jeff already, but it didn't dawn on me that someone, you know, older, you know, my age could still care. Does that make sense? Of course. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm like, oh yeah, gay ally. It's fine. Who cares? Whatever. But all right, I'll take it. I'll take the compliment. 
And whatever happened to that listener who wanted to come out to his grandma? Where'd you go? Let us know how 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 did it happen? How did it go we? I seem fun at gmail.com. And by the way, we, we do have a celebration at the end. A 90-year-old who finally came out. Oh, breaks my heart. Um. Yeah, I mean, listen, I wish everyone was gay. So. I don't know. I find the world... If the world was just made up of straight white people, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I have to thank gay men for being my ally my whole life when I was younger. I'll never forget how I was treated by... It was like gay and non-binary and just, I don't know, this guy's in a dress. There were a couple dudes in my high school and... I don't know, I just remember they saw me in a different way. And they made me feel really good, so... It goes both ways. Jen, oh my God, the gays are out today. Hi, Jen, you're gay. Gen X here in Tennessee. I 100% agree with your feelings on the weird baseless reopenings. I have been so baffled by everyone just saying, I'm tired of this, so it's not happening anymore. Blows my mind. Literally almost got rid of a friend because of her reaction to not having her over. We did do a six feet apart outdoor hangout when things seemed to be getting better, and it, it felt like a mistake. But now as cases are spiking all around, I don't even want to do that. To add to the nightmare world we live in, my dad is currently going downhill from cancer and is having hospice care. I know I will have to visit at some point, but I am having near constant panic about it. It just fucking sucks. Anyway, just wanted to send some cheer. Ha, huh, thanks for all you do. He said not to say his name, so I won't. Hi, Jen. This is another person. Thanks for that anxiety email. Oh, yeah. If anyone wants to uh, read a 20-page email, I've just updated it with all new little tiny additions here and there. Just send an email to iseemfun at gmail.com and just put in the subject heading anxiety help. You don't have to write anything else. It's not rude. I just send you the form letter and we're all both off and running on our days. If you want to write more, you can, but I don't, I don't, um, I send you what I have. I don't tailor it to you and your issues because it's about stuff I know about. Um, and a lot of people, they still write, I don't know if I, I don't think I have anxiety. Anxiety isn't some big thing like cancer. Like, you know, it can be very nothing. It can be just like a thought you can't stop thinking. You're like, is this anxiety? You don't have to be diagnosed with anxiety. Everyone can have it. And it can pop up, it can come, it can go. It's really not in many ways for people that don't have it too bad. It doesn't have to be some big scary thing that we give all this weight to. So anyway, send an email. I seem fun at gmail.com. Put anxiety help in the subject heading. I'm going to start doing bite-sized weekly emails. So there's a place for you to sign up for that once you receive the email. And eventually I hope to pitch it out into a separate podcast. And um, yeah. Anyway, you don't need to hear my hopes and my dreams and schemes right now. So let's read this email. Jen, thanks for that anxiety email. I have the feeling it will really help me the next time my anxiety gets bad again. I mean, I think we should work on our anxiety even when we don't have it. That's the key. But okay. 
After listening to the most recent episode, I wanted to write to you about my point of view as a younger person with the whole COVID thing. I live in upstate New York where things are a lot better than they were earlier in the year. But I still think that my friends, especially the ones that are liberal, are not taking it as seriously as they should be. They've been inviting me to places and sometimes I go. I'm keeping my distance and always wearing a mask. But at the same time, I see that they are not doing the same as me. Yeah, welcome to my life. I think I'm going to stop seeing people all together because I really can't risk it. There is this whole idea among my friends that this summer was supposed to be all hanging out all the time and they've chosen to ignore everything, which I just can't go along with. Anyway, thanks for being so fun to listen to. Your little cigarette song in the rainbow episode made me completely lose my shit. I also plan on joining your Patreon as soon as I finally get a job. CJ, thank you, CJ. I hope you get that job. Not not just because of COVID. All right. Here's someone who wants some advice about a baby shower. Let's read this and then we'll read about the guy who came out. Jen, please don't use my name. Sorry if this goes a bit long. A little while ago, one of my childhood best friends called to let me know she is pregnant. She and I haven't had much of a relationship the past few years except for a text here and there. I appreciated her reaching out to tell me this news by phone and I thought it was very sweet. Recently, she invited me over Facebook to her virtual baby shower this summer. She is smart, lovely, a hilarious person, and I still do love her, despite us being estranged, and I know she loves me too. For some context, I'm a 33-year-old child-free-by-choice woman. My family and my friend's family were very close when we were younger. My family has my sister and I, and the other family has three girls. We're all pretty close in age, so it was like having three extra sisters. But naturally, people get older, move away, get married, have kids, it happens. So back to me. I decided to stop attending baby showers in person a year or so ago because I just don't think they're for me, which is fine. I still send a gift and a nice note. I don't feel it's necessary for me to be there when these wonderful ladies have their mothers, sisters, cousins, and BFFFs at their side. I know they're fine without my physical presence. I just cannot handle the terrible games, the weird family intros, and pretending to be enraptured by the never-ending gift ceremony. I don't care about the tiny clothing and the tiny blankets, and people are crying and over-smiling, and I'm just thinking this is the last one, no more. And I'm sorry if this makes me a giant throbbing cuntaloo, but to me, no one's shower is fun. People always go, oh, don't worry, my baby shower will be fun and not boring like other people's. No, it won't. It never is. I don't know if I should attend this virtual baby shower. Yes, I'll get to skip some awkward conversations with people, but reuniting on a Zoom call seems super weird. You really can't hold conversations and people end up talking over each other. So I imagine I'll just be on mute most of the time trying to seem engaged. There will still be games and gift opening. I don't really have an excuse not to attend since what else could I possibly be doing at 2 p.m. on a Sunday during a pandemic? I guess it comes down to, I don't feel like I belong at these things. Will a virtual one be any different? I also feel like a bad friend because I didn't make enough of an effort to keep in touch. And here I am now, randomly, on a baby shower Zoom call, pretending like I fit into this ritual and I'm part of this person's life. I feel like I'll just suck it up because an effort was made to invite me. I guess after all this, I don't even have a question. I just hope that maybe somewhere someone else can relate to this. Or if you have any advice, love your podcast, Rachel. Well, Rachel, I would say this. The best baby shower you can go to is a virtual one. And you're right. People talk over each other. You'll probably be there on mute. But I don't know if you drink or don't. But whatever your favorite beverage is, if it's a smoothie, if it's a margarita, if it's a hot cup of coffee, have your beverage. 
smile, put it on mute, and just sit there smiling. And just make sure you're enjoying yourself, so have something fun that you can do, like your beverage. And like you said, you feel guilty because you haven't really stayed in touch, but that's okay, neither has she until now. I think when people have babies or get married, they start to get sentimental about everyone in their life. I think they even might worry that they might become one of those moms that doesn't see their friends anymore. And then it's kind of like an excuse to have a reunion. So if you can think about it that way, um, just like a reunion. And yeah, just sit there. You probably already had it already. But oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you guys the jury duty story. So I checked my mail last night at nine o'clock at night and I see that I have jury duty and I am so angry. I am so angry. I just start screaming in my apartment and I never scream because my voice, my voice, I'm not a yeller. Like I'm like, fuck, fuck. And I'm just like banging shit. I was so, I was like, you motherfucker, God or science or luck, you fuck, you fuck, you luck, fuck, luck. Fuck you, because you know what? My friends are all bored, and they're going to restaurants indoors, and they're dying to do this, and they're doing that, and they're doing this. Why don't they get fucking jury duty? I'm high risk for COVID with my asthma. I'm fucking scared to death. I'm neurotic as shit. No. And I know you go, just get a doctor's note, but it's not that easy. They give you a form, and you have five days to mail it back, and the doctor has to fill it out on the exact form. They can't just write a letter. And my pulmonologist works one day a week. And it would be eight days before I can even drive to him. So I can't have him sign it. I asked my therapist if she would sign it. She will. But she's going to write me a separate letter. Even though I don't think that they said don't do that. The courts are all closed until July 10th. By the time you hear this, it'll be past July 10th. But so there's a world. And everyone, like I tweeted it. And then I immediately took it down. I was like, why am I letting people know this? Like, because I was just getting unsolicited advice. It's probably a Zoom session. It's on a Zoom session. I got the address. It's downtown LA. I do not want to go. I do not care. I do not care. This is one area I'm not patriotic. Fuck you. I'm not going. And I looked up the fines. And the most they can be is $1,500. i am like, you know what? I could deal with that. But it could be five days in jail if I don't show up and if I keep not showing up. And jail is the whole point. Like, I would go to jail normally um, if, it, if I was just so again. Like, if I, like, I mean, I wouldn't. But I'm just saying, like, the point is not to be around people and catch COVID. So jail would be just as bad as jury duty. Now, I've had jury duty before and they dismissed me that day, but I was there all day and bling, bling, blong, blong. So I just did an online thing and I didn't request to postpone. I requested to be excused. And I said, I have asthma. I'm a higher risk for COVID. And I'm, I kind of exaggerated. I was like, I have massive anxiety and I'm on a lot of clonopin. There's no way I could pay attention. I'm not on any clonopin. I have some in case I need it. But if, even if I did, it would be half a milligram and you wouldn't even know. Like I just was just like, I'm on drugs and I'm scared and I can't. So I haven't heard back because I don't even think the courts are open. But I was freaking out angry. And then... So I was freaking out angry. Then I filled out all this stuff. And then I calmed down. I was like, yeah, I just won't show up. We'll see what happens. I mean, they're going to postpone it. Like I requested to be excused indefinitely. And if they say, no, you can't be excused. 
they'll just postpone it. But I don't know if they'll postpone for like three weeks later. Like I'm not going in 2020. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I wrote to my pulmonologist. We'll see. But um, yeah, it's not great. But I'm trying not, I'm just not thinking about it. But I feel very like revolutionary about it. I don't know how to put it. I'm just like, fuck you people. Like you can't make me. This is absurd. You shouldn't be open. Go call my fucking friends that are at the bars. I like, no, no. Ah, I don't have any more words for it, but I'm like, I'll go to, I mean, I won't go to jail over this, but I will pay the fucking fines. Like my friend, Tammy, who I've interviewed on this podcast, she got a notice too. She's like, I'm kind of bored. I might go. I'm like, and she's very worried about COVID and she masks and she and her wife and her kid, they, they're very serious, but I was like, you're out of your mind. She's like, it's something to do. I'm like, who needs anything to do? I'm going to try to talk her out of it. Um, anyway, that's my exciting story. Aren't you glad I squeezed that in? So I was going to read this story about this guy who came out of the closet at 90. Hey, as long as we're talking about allies, let's just end on a happy note. Where did I read this? Oh, I don't know. It's everywhere. You can just Google it. His name is Kenneth Feltz. I was born in western Kansas in a small town called Dodge City on May 20th, 1930. It was the time of the Dust Bowl, dust storms that caused great drought and just before the Great Depression. I recognized that I was gay around the age of 12. We moved around a lot because my father worked for the railroads and I was living in New Mexico. One of my friends invited me over for a sleepover. There was no central heating, so as we went to bed, we ended up hugging close together. I just knew right then that I wanted to be with other guys. But it was the 1940s, so I kept that hidden. I never had girlfriends or talked to girls. I took a girl to the senior prom, but only because she asked me. After high school and junior college, I enlisted in the U.S. Navy in 1950 during the Korean War and was sent to California before spending four years on a minesweeper warship on the Korean Peninsula. Eventually, after I returned and studied... I went to work at a retail credit company in Long Beach, California in 1957, and a man named Philip Allen Jones helped me learn how to do reports. We were immediately attracted to one another. My son's not gay. He just gets very hot over reports. Um, And we started dating soon after, though not openly, and I was not out as a gay man. But it wasn't long before I was spending nights at his house, and then I moved in with him. It just seemed very natural. We blended so well together so quickly, there was never a question in my mind. Neither of us drank or smoked. We liked the same things, and we never had arguments. We spent every weekend together exploring the surrounding mountains, old mines, or visiting the seashore. It was wonderful. The love gradually grew. We just knew it was there without having to verbalize it. One Saturday in 1958, we had a really intimate evening, and the next day we went to church. Philip was in the loft as he sang with the choir, and I was in the pews. Sitting there, it just struck me. I was in this holy place that condemns homosexuality, and I was still doing something with Philip that was really wonderful but was wrong. Society and my religion said I should be straight. I had this conflict between the church and my love for Philip. Soon after, I resigned my position, left California, and left Philip. He wrote me two or three letters after I left. And his last letter said, if you don't answer, I won't bother you again. I didn't feel I could do both, respond to him and continue being straight. So I chose to be straight and didn't ever hear from him again. It was the wrong decision and I've regretted it all my life.
When I left him, I decided I was going to be absolutely straight. I joined the Methodist Church in Littleton, Colorado, and I met a young lady at a youth group. We married in 1963 and had a child in 1972. After I got divorced in 1979, I spent time looking in Long Beach phone books trying to find Philip, but I was unable to do so, so I had to rebury him inside. I also could not come out at the time because in the 1980s, it was unlikely that courts would grant custody to a gay father. I then worked for 30 years for the state of Colorado. There were times that I did have some secret relationships with men, but they were all short-lived. They weren't going anywhere, and we'd both know that. Then, 20 years ago, my daughter came out to me. At the time, I chided her and gave her all these reasons not to be gay. She ignored my advice and went right on with her life, which was wonderful. Rebecca is the light of my life. I love her wife like another daughter, and I really love my grandchildren. I think it was a parent trying to protect their child, although coming out then wasn't as terrible as in the 50s, 60s, or 70s. I did not ever intend to come out, but I had a Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis in 2019, and in isolation because of COVID-19 in March. I started writing my memoirs, and it awakened parts of me I had kept hidden. One day in early May, my daughter and I were talking, and I blurted out that I wished I'd never left the one true love of my life, Philip. Rebecca then asked me who Philip was, and that's when I came out to her. She took it so well that I decided to let the rest of my friends know. I wrote a post coming out as gay on Facebook on June 5th. I explained I had a gay alter ego I had called Larry, but I had suppressed him. And I sent it to my friends on email. I decided to be out and proud. I really don't know how to express my gratitude to the thousands of people who have messaged me telling me they really support my actions. One young man in Africa wrote to me telling me he is frightened of telling his parents that he's gay. I said to this young man that it's up to him whether or not to come out. It's his life and he's the one who has to live it, even after his parents are gone. He has to live with his decision, just as I did with mine for nearly 80 years. When I came out, I closed the statement saying, I am free, I am gay, and I am out. I explained afterwards that when I internalized that I was gay, all my decisions from that moment forward were made in relation to the question, will this make me look gay? I wore dark clothes, shirts and ties, everything that said I'm a conservative person. As a gay person, the first thing I've done is get the brightest color shorts you've ever seen. I got blue dye in my hair and beard and bought a pride flag and a rainbow hoodie. Last week, my daughter took me for a pedicure and now I have blue toenails. I'm helping out the Center on Colfax, an LGBTQ community center in Colorado, and I ran the 2020 Denver Pride virtual 5K race a few weeks ago. I managed half a mile with my walker. Oh, I love him. As I was sharing parts of my memoirs on Facebook, including about Philip and how I'd never found him, a woman on the East Coast told me she would find him for me, and she did. It was amazing she was able to locate him around after 60 years. But she discovered a week or so ago that he had passed away about two years ago. So it's very difficult and very painful. To me, it's like he died less than two weeks ago. I posted what I felt was an obituary for him online. And people have been overwhelmingly supportive, saying how sorry they are that I missed seeing him. But it still hurts. In all the relationships I've had since Philip. Nothing is ever measured up to him, and I don't anticipate that anything ever will. I am more concerned with the more quiet aspects of a relationship, holding hands and being close, 
I'd like to have a boyfriend, companionship, and somebody there when the days get longer. A lesson I've learned from all of this is not to underestimate people. When I came out at 90, people were shocked, but no one rejected me. So I would like people to know that nobody is alone. You can always reach out. There is always somebody who is going to help you if you ask. I denied who I really was for many years. So be true to yourself and live the life that you were meant to live. I had no idea I would get such an amazing response. I'm just an old man who decided to climb out of the closet one day and walk on his own two feet. Kenneth Feltz lives in Arvada, Colorado. He came out to friends and family this year at the age of 90. He is looking forward to spending the rest of his life as an openly gay man. I love it. Everybody, I hope you look forward to spending the rest of your week as an openly funning funner. And until next week, have fun.